0: I think my advice would be just like, get good first, spend loads of time doing whatever it is you love. And you might be surprised at how that pays off later. Um, It it might take a long time, it might take years or or decades, but if if you love what you're doing and you get good at it, that's gonna be valuable to somebody and you never know who that's valuable to.
1: This is Pittsburgh a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Villano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Hey everyone, I just pulled up in front of Sunset Place Studio in Gibsonia for my latest behind the scenes episode. And today we're going to be meeting with the owner, Destin Lee Cornu. He's going to give us a tour of the space. We're going to talk about the music industry, how he got started, how he built his business. And I'm actually familiar with this particular location because a while back, I recorded a bunch of podcast episodes here, but it's been a while since I've been here and I'm curious to see what's changed and what are some of the latest projects that Destin is working on. It's gonna be a really great conversation and a really cool experience. If you've never been in a recording studio, then this is an awesome sneak peek of what it's like and what goes on behind the scenes. So let's go uh, see if we can find Destin and get started. Destin, you're here. Hey. How are you? Good oh, to see yeah. you.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Today, my guest is Destin Licorneau. He is the owner of Sunset Place Studio. Destin, thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: So tell us a little bit about your studio to get started. You know, when did you open... What services do you offer here to clients and what types of clients do you tend to work with in your studio?
0: Yeah, so I'm a full service studio, which means I do a little bit of everything from helping artists in the writing and arranging phase of their music all the way to tracking, mixing, mastering, just whatever the artist needs to put their music out there. And so it's something I've really been doing my whole life ever since I was a kid, even just as a hobby on a little four track cassette recorder. And just little by little, I started working with more bands, doing it on a higher level, getting more equipment. Um, And so I moved into this space in uh, January of 2021. But before that, I was actually running it out of my house.
1: So the building that we're in basically houses two businesses. There's the Pittsburgh School of the Arts upstairs and then Sunset Place Studio downstairs, which is your your space. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how the two businesses interact? What's the relationship there? How do you work together or collaborate? And how did you find this space?
0: Yeah, so we're partners. Um, I teach at Pittsburgh School of the Arts and I do a lot of other things there as well. So my business partner Kate Griffin, um, we got connected through a mutual friend because she was looking to expand her business, and this space became available. Um, funny story about this space is it was it was a recording studio before I got here, and I had recorded here like twelve years ago. So I actually knew this existed, uh, and I would drive by and always wonder like is there is there still a studio down there? Turned out it had been sitting vacant for for like ten years. Um, the previous business kind of closed. And so it just it was the perfect fit when we realized that uh, we could we could do lessons upstairs and, and I could teach here. And then I could basically just move my studio uh, from my house into this space. It was, it was kind of all ready to go. We just had to do some renovations and stuff. But um, the, I think the beauty of the business is like we get to offer lessons and music education in a real world setting. I teach out of this space. I do music technology classes and things like that as well. Um, and so to kind of have that arm of of the business is really helpful, especially since recording is such a project-based industry and lessons are a very regular thing. They they complement each other well.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the perfect collaboration music school and learning environment upstairs. Yeah. You can also use some of the space that you have down here. I think you have a common room. You can do a lot of group things and a lot of activities in there. Then exactly. of course, you have all of the sound, which we're going to talk about here in a minute as we walk through your space, uh, all of the uh, specific sound recording, specific equipment and rooms. So this is a, it's a, it's a perfect marriage, if you will, between the two businesses. So you've been here almost two years now. And so it it Mm -hmm. sounds like it's gone well. It's gone really well. Yeah. Great. Great. So let's uh, get started with uh, taking a little look around if that's okay. I'm I'm, sure I'm familiar with this space because I recorded a number of episodes here for the podcast. So, uh, but today we're going to look at it through your eyes as the uh, owner and as someone who is focused more on the production and the music and the recording aspect of things. I was coming in and out of here more just to record my podcast. So um, again, familiar with the layout, but I just love the look and feel of the place. So cozy and warm, looks like a very inviting place to come to work if you if you do what you do. So that's really yeah. cool. So tell us a little bit about, we're, we're starting here in, in what you call, I think the control room, right? The control room, Tell us yeah. a little bit about this room, what happens here and, and maybe a little bit about the equipment.
0: So this is kind of where all the magic happens. Um, we've got my setup right here. So typically on any given session, I might have the artist in uh, the live room or the ISO booth over there, and then I'll be sitting behind the desk, and this room is isolated, so I can just hear what's being recorded through my monitors, and I'm not actually hearing uh, the live instrument up close. And it's also treated for mixing. You'll notice there's all the uh, soundproof paneling on the wall. That's so that I get a nice, uh, tight, isolated environment when I'm when I'm listening to things and making adjustments. Um, and we have a few instruments in here as well. Uh, I typically track electric guitars and keyboards in this room too.
1: Yeah, this room is really cool. And uh, for somebody who's never been in a studio like this, I mean, it does kind of bring you back to like some of the, you know, the old movies about music where you have yeah. the, uh, the band room, the the live room and then you have the control room. Obviously with the uh, the Mac and the and the controls today, the technology is much different than it was a long time ago, but it still has that look and feel. Were you going for that sort of like, I mean, obviously this has to be functional. It has to work the way you want it to work. It has, the, has to have the proper sound, soundproofing, the right computer technology, but it has a little bit of a vintage feel too as well. And I'm wondering if that was purposefully designed that way
0: it was actually yeah when I when I first saw this space I thought it kind of reminded me of like a micro version of an old-school studio where you had you know the separate rooms and these days a, a studio that big is is hard to sustain and so I thought well this is this is just perfect you get kind of all the benefits of like your classic multi-room studio setup but you know it's a it's a smaller place I mean a lot of bands aren't recording live you might get drums and bass live sometimes but we're typically Typically, still doing things separately, but you definitely benefit from having that isolation. And actually, I, the the name of the studio, Sunset Place, kind of kind of reflects what you just observed. Um, I grew up in Nashville on a street called Sunset Place, and so I sort of thought I want my studio to be a little bit Nashville and a little bit. LA. Cause there's a, there's a studio in LA called sunset sound where a lot of my favorite records from the sixties, seventies, eighties were recorded. And so that the name just had a ring to it that kind of reminded me of both Nashville and LA.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. I was, I was wondering where the name came from and what, if there was a meaning behind it. So I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, yeah, this does have a cozy feel and it. it it's, it's small, like you said, and condensed, but it has all the elements that you need. And, uh, you know, when you, I've never been in some of these like famous record, you know, Motown and, you know, Shangri-La. You see mm-hmm. these places on, on TV shows and documentaries and, and photos, but you know, they do surprisingly look small. I mean, obviously they're, they're probably bigger than this, but when you get even some of the more famous, you know, recording studios where the Beatles recorded something or... A, a lot of the famous names that we know today, it, it's not like they're recording these great big cavernous spaces there. Right. They tend to be pretty intimate spaces and it's, there's usually like a lounge or uh, a waiting room out front. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is where uh, Paul McCartney hung out and, and laid back on the couch or, or whatever between yeah. sets, you know, it's <laughs> like, it kind of reminds you that in, in, a lot of these places are smaller than what you, what you think.
0: They are, yeah. And a lot of that just has to do with uh, the bigger a room you get, the harder it is to control acoustically. Um, and so a, a, a medium-sized room is usually the best possible scenario.
1: Okay, so tell us a little bit about the room we're in now.
0: Yeah. So this is the ISO booth. Um, it has four inches of uh, insulation on the walls, which I installed with uh, fabric over top of it. Um, so this this room is where we record vocals and acoustic instruments and anything where you really don't want much of a room sound. You just want it totally dry and isolated. Um, we also have a bass trap up on the the ceiling. So it's it's pretty dead in here.
1: Yeah. This again reminds me of things that you would see on tv where the the vocalist may be in a different room than the band now you might have not have total sound proofing i'm not exactly sure how that works but is it still work like that today where different tracks could be laid down at different times you might have a vocalist yeah. in here doing a, a recording but then a band may be sitting in there and waiting or they had already recorded their track and and the vocalist is listening to the track and and laying out the the vocals over top is that Does that process still similar to what we would have seen years ago? It does happen.
0: Yeah, it's far less common, but I do that occasionally. Um, A lot of times what I'll do is like, if I'm I'm working with a singer-songwriter and we're just trying to get the feel of the song down, a lot of that depends on the drums. And so to be able to have them in here and I can come up with a drum part as they're playing through the song and we can kind of make changes on the fly rather than playing the game of like, you put down a drum track and then they go to record their part and they're like, no, this is all wrong. So um, yeah, a lot of times like we're not doing, we're not doing final tracks live, but we can have that isolation to where they can, you know, they can comfortably play and sing and still have drums going on. Yeah,
1: and this room again is familiar. This is, uh, some people might recognize, Uh, the backdrop, a little bit of this room um, from the podcast. This is where I did uh, quite a few episodes of the podcast and um, the lighting and and some of the uh, aesthetics were a little different then, but uh, the room is largely the same way. And I could see how it would serve the purpose that you're using it for now. Yeah. And so tell us the room that we're in now. This is the band room?
0: The live room. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is where we track drums. Um, sometimes other instruments as well. It's a little livelier, which you can, you can probably hear our voices are echoing a little bit more. And some of that was on purpose. It does help to have a little bit of a livelier room for, for drums. Um, I am actually going to deaden this room, just a tiny bit. I have quite a bit of acoustic treatment on order for the, the ceiling, but, um, those big panels that you see back there behind the drum kit, those are actually movable. So, if I want to kind of change the acoustics in here a little bit, I could just roll those around, find the the sweet spot for whatever I'm tracking.
1: And you have all your recording equipment set up so that it's capturing through the, uh, again through the the window there on the other side where the control room is.
0: Yep, so that that big mess of wires that you see down by the the drum set, that goes into the other room. Um, So I can send 16 channels over into the uh, control room. And then the cool thing is like, uh, because I'm often playing a lot of the instruments on on stuff I do out of the studio, I can actually remotely control everything that's in the control room from in here with my laptop. Oh
1: wow, that's great. Um, So I can sit
0: behind the drum kit and I can start and stop the recording uh, without having have a second person here
1: now. Is it possible to have a guitar and drums going at the same time, or do you try to separate? Do you try not to have too many instruments at once because of the space? Yeah,
0: yeah. I usually don't do too many instruments at once. If it's if it's direct, meaning something that's plugged in, like a, a bass guitar, that could happen in this room with drums, but um, typically the way things have been going, just the drummer will be in here. If we are doing stuff live, I'll put the other people in different rooms. Mm-hmm. And just tell us a little bit about the type of client
1: again that you're working with on a project that they would want to have done, recorded, and then later mixed and mastered in a sort of a sound studio like this. Because the purpose yeah. of something like this is this is the opposite of a live recording where you're going to have a lot of background noise and and you're going to pick up the ambiance. I mean, here you're you're looking for a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to get that track laid down, those different tracks laid down. You know, in other words, trying to really get it in a controlled way, you know, recorded to the liking of, of the client. And also they probably care about your input as well. Yeah. So what, what's the type of musician today that cares about this type of recording versus picking them up live or, or doing some other type of, uh, of event?
0: Yeah, well, a lot of folks nowadays have home studios where you can, you can do a lot on your own, but the one thing you really can't do in a home studio is drums with multiple mics in a, a treated room. At least most people don't have that set up. And then like we talked about being able to do certain things live, there's, there's definitely a feel that you, that you miss when you're doing like drums and bass separately. So a lot of my clients might start their project in a home studio. They might come to me with some demos and then, um, I help them flesh it out, turn it into something that feels more like a a full band recording. Um, and so in, in that way, like, a lot of the projects I do here, the entire project might not be done here. There might be some other tracks that are sent from other places. Uh, I'm working with one guy right now where he's got people all over the country sending in tracks, musicians in different states, and we're literally just throwing files back and forth. Um, so you could do a lot of this work remotely
1: then. If yeah. you have the
0: files, you could work with bands or
1: musicians around the world, around the country. Yeah, it's done all the time, actually. Yeah, that's great. Technology yeah. allows you to do that. It's awesome. So you might have alluded to this when we were talking, but you're a musician too. I am. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the instruments that you play? And and do you also do vocals too?
0: I do. Yeah. Um, I play a little bit of everything. Um, started out on drums um, and then picked up guitar not long after that when I was a kid. Piano, a couple other random stringed instruments like mandolin, pedal steel. Um, I do sing as well. I, I have a solo project, uh, solo album I put out a couple years ago.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so you come from a background or a family with uh, some musical history. Your dad was a uh, professional songwriter in Nashville, I believe, in Mm -hmm. the 1980s, 1990s. Uh, I think maybe before you were born, I think, because I think you grew up here in in Pittsburgh. But at any rate, you grew up in the household. Music was around you. What was it like to grow up in that environment? And how did his work influence you?
0: It was great. Music was just a, a part of my childhood as far back as I can remember um here in my parents record collection i just got introduced to you know all the great music over the past 50 years getting to see my dad actually do music for real. Um, I mean, he was leading worship at, at our church. And so I would get to go up on stage afterwards and pester the musicians with loads of questions. And um, he was still kind of playing out around town too. So I would get to see his band play in some of the local clubs. And that was just, it was always inspiring to me because like I would listen to records and I would wonder how is that, what am I hearing? How is that being done? And then I would actually get to see it and ask questions and- And was he pretty receptive to you? It sounds like not only to going to where the gigs were, but also
1: asking questions and picking up. Did they encourage you to uh, pick up the instrument yourself and
0: and play around with it? Yeah. I mean, both of my parents were really, really supportive. Um, I pretty much just started. I, I don't even remember what age I started playing drums, probably like four or five years old, just banging on like pots and pans and wooden spoons in the kitchen. But yeah, I, I think they, they just saw that I was I was fascinated with music. And so they always tried to do whatever they could to to support that.
1: And I think from talking to you before, you said when you picked up the guitar, again, I think this was at you were a young age at this point, but instead of getting lessons, you sort of just, you were self-taught in the beginning, at least, and you were playing around with was, it, sort of yeah. developing your own style. Where did that come from? Was it that just because you were young and you were just sort of feeling your way around um, and, and maybe you weren't ready for lessons yet or or just it hadn't been encouraged yet or just... How was how was that evolution for you? Maybe different from some of the clients that may come through here, and maybe not necessarily with uh, Sunset Play Studio, but perhaps with uh, Pittsburgh School of the Arts, which you know maybe some younger kids are encouraged to get piano lessons or percussion or something at a young age to start with?
0: Yeah. Well, so with guitar, I I was already a drummer. And so the only reason I picked up guitar is because I really wanted to write songs. I always had little melodies floating around my head. And I think at some point I realized I couldn't really write songs on drums. And my dad was a guitar player. So we just always had guitars around the house. But I guess I never really felt the pressure to like become a, a normal guitar player. And Take lessons and learn scales and everything up front I, I actually kind of resisted that for a long time. I just wanted to find like my own way of approaching guitars where i could I could uh, express my my song ideas but over the years, I think it just kind of snuck up on me where I, I found myself as the guitar player in, in a couple bands and almost kind of had to learn on the job. And so I, I, I love guitar now. I mean, I would say my two strongest instruments are, are drums and guitar.
1: And do you play in a band now?
0: Um, I, I sort of do some session stuff. I was in a couple bands a couple years ago, but um, studio work has, has kind of taken up the bulk of my schedule, that and, and teaching. So I, I play out live occasionally.
1: Yeah, I remember from our discussion before, you said that you were, you know, over the years you had been in a few different bands Mm -hmm. and um, that you had to pull back from that. Did you pull back from that to focus on your business? It sounds like that maybe that was a big part of it. And also, what was it like to be in a band? What was it like to go out and play, let's say in front of people? And of course you do that maybe in a a church setting as well. And that's one type of of setting to do it. And it may be different, uh, say in a different scenario, maybe you're at a nightclub or or an event or something. You know, tell us a little bit about for those of us those of us who have never been on stage
0: before. What's that experience like? Oh, it's it's so much fun. I I love playing live. It's it's a strange sort of thing because I honestly feel the most comfortable when I'm on stage, like, like in person, I'm kind of socially awkward and then I get on stage and I kind of become a different person. Um, I think it's just cause I, I had that experience so young that I was never afraid of it. It always just felt like where I felt most alive. So yeah, I, I, to a certain extent I, I miss playing out live. I mean, it was, it was different, you know, before the pandemic and especially like the, the peak of my live playing was maybe like 10 years ago or so when there was probably a little bit more excitement about live music and a little bit more opportunities that could come from it. Now it's honestly just hard to put stuff together because there's not exactly a lot of money in it. But yeah, it's exhilarating. And I think uh, if, you're, if you're serious about being a musician and, and you really want to understand how your instrument fits together in the context of, of a band, like learning to listen to other musicians, learning to play off of that energy and play off of the audience's energy. That's like the biggest source of fuel for a, a live musician is you get to test your songs and, and test your chops in front of people. And based on how they react- You get you that kinda, feedback. Yeah, you know, you know if you're doing something right or not.
1: Yeah, it's in- instant feedback. That's that's yeah, that could be really gratifying. It could be scary for some people, but it's also really <laughs> gratifying too. Yeah, to be able to see right there what's if it's working or not.
0: Oh, and it's it's important too. I mean, if you're an artist and you're trying to create stuff, to be able to have that feedback, it gives you a sense of direction and validation, which sometimes you don't get in a studio setting.
1: Yeah, and so just going back now, uh, a few years in your life, you know, you were. Um, You were, a few years back, you were a grad student, you were studying psychology, and you Mm -hmm. had this major turning point in your life. You know, as you had mentioned, music has been a big part of your life, um, pretty much all of your life. It's been a dream of yours to start a business or to make a living out of it. You just probably, like a lot of us, you weren't sure how you were going to do the right. thing that you wanted to do, and and you were taking a more traditional path, and uh, you found yourself at a at a crossroads where you had to make a decision, or you felt you had to make a decision because maybe you weren't um, satisfied with what was happening, and you made the big decision of of leaving school and going into the music industry as an entrepreneur full time, and that was twenty seventeen twenty eighteen timeframe. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're sitting here now four or five years later, so yeah. obviously it's worked out. But <laughs> could you take us back to that that point in your life and just tell us a little bit about what you were going through and, and how difficult that choice was or how easy it was? And did you have support uh, around you or were you on your own? And just what were you dealing with?
0: Yeah. So um, I guess I had always sort of expected that, you know, when I graduated high school, I would go to college. That was just kind of put in me from a young age. And so even though I was in bands in high school and we were actually starting to do some stuff, college was just something I, I always knew was, was inevitable. I really wanted to get a degree. So I did. But um, eventually, I, I think I just... I, I was like on the fence of whether I actually wanted to do music as, as a career because it's so hard to find stable income. Everything is is so project-based. I, I also still kind of had the idea in my head that if I was gonna make a living as a musician, it would be like touring with a band and um, had a couple bands that that got very close to that, but then things would kind of fizzle out. And so I went through like a, a whole season of my life where I was a little bummed about that. And at the same time, I was really starting to enjoy what I was studying. Which was psychology. Um, And so that just, it seemed like the logical course of action to have that kind of safe career and then, and then just be able to do music on the side. But what, what I discovered is like once I was in graduate school and going to classes, it was like music was all I could think about. I just thought, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. Like I'm, I'm in my early twenties at that point, And I should, I should give it a shot while I'm young enough to potentially fail and learn some hard lessons. And so the, the funny thing is like when I made that decision and I told my parents, they were actually kind of relieved because <laughs> I think they knew that I was always going <laughs> so like, to come back to music at, yeah. at some point. Yeah. So they were, they were really supportive of that. When I when I did leave school, though, I, I wasn't really successful immediately at like finding some kind of income through music. There were a couple of years there where it was really kind of shaky and I was kind of trying to start a studio, but it took a while to to get off the ground. But um, I'm I'm really glad I did that. I think it was absolutely the right decision.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people listening, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, can relate to what you said about, you know, taking chances, taking risks when you're young. It's absolutely the right time to do it. You know, that, that's the time to learn the lessons. You can easily rebound. Um, I heard that same thing when I was young. I took some chances as well. And I think, you know, you have to do that. I left school at one point and then went back and kind of had had a winding path to where I am today as well. So mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a great example of of um, you know, following your dream and and it's working out for you too. So yeah. That's great. And there's nothing like doing what you care about and what you really love. And not that you I'm sure you had some affinity for psychology or you wouldn't have chosen it, but I'm sure this this seemed like the the burning desire in the background for sure.
0: Oh, it always was. Yeah, music was always like my number one dream. And so it just it took a while for me to get to the point where I could actually believe that I could make a living from it and the path to getting there came with a lot of interesting realizations where I discovered the the some of the most reliable sources of income or things I would have never seen myself doing like teaching or working with certain clients who, you know, they they might not be like making uh, records that are going to sell a lot of money, but they're so passionate about it that they're willing to invest their their time and money into these projects and just getting to to kind of have that satisfaction of helping them pursue their their dreams. There, there actually is a business there. There's demand there. And so it's been a kind of a process of learning to be open to whatever comes my way.
1: Um, speaking of making a living from this, you know, this, what you chose, there's no real traditional career path for this. There's no blueprint. You had to, make it up and design it yourself as you Mm -hmm. went. And you sort of uh, touched on this a little bit, but, you know, the different ways you can make income, diversify your income, put together an income stream or multiple streams for yourself so that you can make a full-time living in Mm -hmm. music. It's not easy to do. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. You know, teaching's one element of that. The recording's one element, uh, performing possibly. But, you know, how did you, I'm curious, how did you figure it out? What did you start with? And then how did you add services on, um In a way that made sense for you that you felt comfortable offering them, and uh, also was was adding to your your ability to make an income and survive
0: yeah, well, what I discovered is it's really all about building relationships and if you can if you can connect with somebody in in a musical way where you kind of get what they're doing and you're willing to serve their cause, they're going to keep coming back um, and so it it started where I was just kind of doing odds and ends type of work like i somebody might just send me a track to throw some drums on and i would i would send it back but then that same person later on might send me more stuff and so um, my client base isn't exactly huge, but I've, I, I would say almost all of my clients are repeat customers. And that's wonderful because like the longer you get to know somebody, the more you get to know how their mind works as a musician, their likes, their their dislikes. And so things just tend to get a little better each time that you you work with someone and you end up learning things uh, yourselves. It's amazing how much I've learned from projects where I didn't really expect to learn anything. Um, the, more, the more you work on, the more you pick up little tools and and tricks along the way.
1: Yeah, I could see how your background plays into that. And speaking of trust and, you know, working with clients, I would imagine, again, not, you know, looking from the outside in, because I'm not in your industry, but it seems like it could be a delicate dance of when you're working with some, everybody's different. And when you're working with somebody, trying to figure out when to give them advice or help them and when to back off, because some people really want that extra help they want to know what you what you think because you've been in this industry you you make your own music too you've worked with many artists but then some people they're very close to it maybe it's their pet project maybe it's their baby maybe then they've been writing the song or the album for years and they're they're finally (laughs) laying it down and and maybe they're a little bit they don't want it to be overly influenced by someone else i mean i could see how both ends of that could could play out and and i would imagine that you would have to be a good listener. And, and make sure that you're offering the amount of service that the client wants.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of it I've, I've discovered just comes down to helping the artist be the best version of themselves. Um, I kind of learned through some hard lessons, like you're not gonna be able to change someone, you're not gonna be able to make someone a better musician overnight, but that's, that's kind of not the point, right? It's, we really just wanna capture who they are at this particular stage in, in their lives and try to help them arrive at the best version of that. So I find like as long as you're working from that standpoint, um most people really want you to be honest they really want you to tell them if if there's something they could be doing that they're actually capable of of doing better that isn't going to like completely derail their project you never want to be the kind of the rain on their parade and say oh sorry you know you're you're not very good at this it's more just about kind of working with them collaborating with them to try to figure out together how do we capture what you have in the best possible way
1: Yeah. And I also want to say, you know, congratulations for being able to make a full-time living as a, in in the music industry, because again, it's not easy to do for anyone that's tried it. And you're here in Pittsburgh too. And this is not, you know, the music capital of the country. It's, it's, uh, you know, may not be a top tier city for music and the way that Nashville or New York or Los Angeles or some of these other places are. And you've been able to do it here, which I think says a lot. I'm curious what the music community is like here in Pittsburgh. You've been here. You're from here. You've been playing music here and, and involved in so many different aspects of the industry. What is the music community like? You know, is it a tight-knit community? Do you know a lot of people? Is it easy to get to know a lot of people? Um, and is there something exciting happening now on the local scene that that's got your attention?
0: Yeah. Well, so I, I think it's great overall. I mean, people are very supportive here. I mean, everybody says Pittsburgh's a a big, small town. And so I think what you, you don't get here as much is the, is the kind of ego driven mentality of, you know, I'm going to, I'm so much better than everybody else. I'm going to, I'm going to push ahead and and I'm going to leave everybody else in the shadows behind me. I think people are a lot more loyal in a place like Pittsburgh. And so it's just funny. Like once you get to know a few, a few people here who are involved in a lot of different things, you you end up knowing almost everybody. I think the other thing too, um, just with, the internet, you almost don't have to be in a place like Nashville or LA to still be involved in what's going on there. Um, like I mentioned, there's so much remote tracking that gets done. I'm, I'm sending tracks back and forth between people in Nashville on, on a regular basis lately. There's actually a lot of benefit to being in a city like Pittsburgh where the cost of living is reasonable and the pace of life isn't quite so chaotic. You kind of feel like you can breathe here and you can you can participate just as much as you want in kind of what else is going on, but like, you don't feel like you're having to compete at that level all the time, which can be exhausting.
1: And so here at the studio, this really is a full service studio. And and Mm -hmm. again, we kind of talked about that a little bit because you can do so many things, you know, the production, arrangement, mixing, mastering, recording, working with files remotely. It sounds like earlier when we were in the live room that you even talked about, you know, you can add vocals, backup tracks, you play music yourself, so you can even add instruments to yeah. somebody else's work. Maybe they have they want a more robust sound. They're missing something, that you know keyboard or something, and you're you can add that element yeah. for them. Is this what musicians are looking for today when they're looking for more professional services like that you have to offer? When we get when we get out of the home doing it, our the DIY doing it ourselves at home, and the mu- musician says, um, "Hey, you know, I really need uh, the next level." Are they looking for someone like you that can do a more full suite of services?
0: Yeah, I would say most producers and engineers nowadays are also musicians and probably multi-instrumentalists. Um, it, it used to be where you'd kind of have like the producer and then they would bring on a couple engineers who just were the engineers. And then you would have like a whole roster of session musicians. But just like we, we talked about with kind of the, you know, there's, there's just not as much money for that kind of thing anymore. It's now almost incumbent on anyone who's trying to do this as a career to be able to wear a lot of hats at once. And so, I sort of developed that ability out of necessity because like as a kid I, w- I wanted to make music that sounded like what I was hearing. I could never really find friends who were, who were wanting to do the same kind of thing that I did so I just would figure out how to do it myself. That's a lot of times what I'm doing for artists who come in my door. They might be songwriters where they have a vision of what, you know, the drums and bass and keyboards might be doing, but either they don't play that themselves or they just, they really want someone who is a drummer or is a bass player to, to put their all into it. Um, And so I it's I think it's kind of something I specialize in as a studio is is giving that that foundation for a song to really come to life, helping them work out the the rhythm tracks and all the other elements that are that are going into that the, the soundscape, so to speak.
1: What do you like most about the work that you do?
0: I think I just, you know, music is such a part of my DNA. I, I hear it in my head all day long that it's really fun to just be surrounded by that. I think it's the kind of thing where it... it, it wells up inside of me and it needs a release. And so I, I've always wanted to be in a position where I could be working on that every single day. And I think one thing I love is it's, it's never the same old thing every day. My schedule looks a little bit different every day. Some days I'm, I'm doing a lot of editing and mixing and technical work. Other days I'm just playing instruments. Some days I might have a whole band in here. Other days I'm working alone. So it's never it never feels like the nine to five job, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is wonderful.
1: Destin, as we wrap up, what parting words of advice could you leave for other entrepreneurs? You ended up doing something that you're extremely passionate about, that you love, and that's a reward in and of itself. There's somebody listening, I'm sure, that has the same dream of something and they want to do it. Maybe they've been told that, that they can't do it or it's an industry like yours that is hard to make a living or it's going to be impossible. Maybe they don't have the support that you did. You know you've been through this, so you know you might be able to share um, a thought that could help them along, or it could also just be, uh, "I'm curious if you have just some general business advice. um, you've been in business now for over four years and a couple years in this studio, and so you you know what it's like to um you know to run a business on your own, and I think you're also working on possibly bringing in some new. Uh, people to help you and to build your team, so you 're going through yeah. that process too, so perhaps that you you 've learned something along the way that can be shared with others
0: yeah well I think if you're if you 're someone who wants to create anything, whether it 's an art form or a business, you probably have an idea in your head of how to do that well you You know what good is, but oftentimes we get stuck just looking for whether it's possible to make money from it right away. Like you kind of think, oh, if I if I can't get this off the ground and actually be making money from it, then is it really worth putting all that time into trying? But I think my advice would be just like get good first. Spend loads of time doing whatever it is you love um, and and you might be surprised at how that pays off later. It might take a long time. It might take years or, or decades. But if you if you love what you're doing and you get good at it, that's going to be valuable to somebody. And you never know who that's valuable to. Um, that was that's been kind of my experience. Is like I, I sort of had it in my head what my music career might look like, and it's 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 sort of taken me there, but in a completely roundabout way. And so just be open to any possible use for your, your skills and talents, whatever that might look like, and keep at it.
1: Destin, thank you so much. That's a great place to leave it. And thank you for having me in your studio, in your space again, taking a walk through, looking at it through your eyes. Really appreciate that. It's a beautiful space. Anybody that gets the chance to come in here and work with you uh, is fortunate. And um, I wish you well with uh, the business.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.